0: It's December. And you know what that means? It's outlook time. Here's what matters for 2023. Live from New York City, I'm Lauren Goodwin, and this is Market Matters from New York Life Investments. In this podcast, we bring you the best insights from across the New York Life Investments platform because we believe that by sharing perspectives and engaging with you, our listeners, we can all become better investors. Welcome, everybody. It's the week of December 5th, 2022. And today I'm so excited to be joined by both Julia Herman and Michael Legalbo from our multi-asset solutions team as we launch our 2023 economic and market outlook.
1: Our outlook is called Steady Through the Cycle, the New Recession Playbook. And true to its name, it covers three key topics we've gotten the most questions about this year from clients. Why has this cycle been so painful? What are our expectations for recession? And how can investors position appropriately?
2: And when it comes to positioning, we understand clients' confusions and questions about when to add risk amid all the volatility. This outlook discusses all-weather strategies that investors should consider holding now and when, where, and how to add risk as the cycle turns.
0: So today we're going to start at the top. Why this cycle is really different from those in the last 30 years in our view. And it comes down to three drivers that we think set this cycle apart. Sticky inflation, a policy pullback, and elevated geopolitical risk.
2: While Julia and Lauren discuss, I'll be popping in to talk about the structural angle of all these drivers meaning how the drivers impact not only this economic cycle, but perhaps the next five to 10 years as
0: well. Inflation policy and geopolitics, oh my, then let's get going with inflation. The rude awakening of this year's inflation surge has been all the more painful because we haven't had to worry about it for 30 years. And now it's probably the chief determinant of our investment views.
1: That's right. The inflation story has evolved so much since the start of COVID. Price pressures broadened from stay at home goods and services during the pandemic to gasoline and energy costs in the first half of this year to today's largest contributors, which are housing and core services, AKA rent. We've discussed in previous
0: episodes that as the drivers of inflation have shifted, price growth has become more sticky. And by that, we mean it's become led by categories of prices that don't
1: adjust that. Frequently, so they stick. Think rent, which usually adjusts annually, and think insurance premiums, healthcare. Sticky prices are hard for
0: the Fed to fight because they include people's expectations of inflation. If I'm a landlord and I think inflation is going to be wild next year, I might hit my tenant with a big rent hike when their lease renews, even if that inflation maybe doesn't actually happen in the year ahead.
1: Yeah, that uh, rent hike may or may not have just happened to me. And we don't necessarily have great news on what it's going to take for these pain points to calm down. Ultimately, what the Fed needs to fight inflation is time. Yeah time. In fact, that's sort of the opposite
0: of the transitory argument that we heard last year. And we discussed that policy has a considerable lag, maybe six or even 18 months to filter through the economy. That's time. But the real clincher with this time lag is how various portions of the economy slows down each on their own timelines. The big laggard here is the
1: job market. Oof, the jobs market has been the saving grace, really, for households fighting rising costs this year. Wages are strong, jobs are available, but that strength is only contributing to inflation itself. It's a little bit of a a spiral feeling there. So to boil it down, for us to see durable inflation relief, the job market has to crack. And that might not be for another several months still, especially with the super strong November jobs report we saw on Friday. All right, if we're talking about several months
0: ahead, I think it's time to bring on Macro, Mike. Obviously, there have been so many shifts in the world since the pandemic, many of which contributed to the inflation we're seeing right now. Is inflation a forever thing or is it a this cycle thing?
2: I see a lot of reasons carrying us into a moderately higher inflationary environment for the medium term. Think like a forehandle on broader inflation. That would be about half of where we're at today, but still way above the target of the past 10 years, which is 2%.
0: What's driving that view? What changes have happened over the past couple of years that make inflation have the potential to keep moving higher?
2: A little bit of everything. Structural changes in worker mobility have impacted housing costs and wages. The other major inflation driver you mentioned is energy. Disruptions to the energy supply, like the war in Ukraine, and demand, like the green energy transition, upset the balance of prices and might continue to do so for years or decades.
0: Okay, so inflation may move lower than where it is now, but still likely to be higher than the last cycle's averages. So let's move into driver number two of why this cycle looks different, policy support. It saved the day during the pandemic, but for the next year, we expect policy support to come way down. We've seen the start of this during 2022 already. Interest rates are moving higher, and liquidity is draining from the system.
1: And when we're talking policy, we don't just mean the Fed, even though it feels like all we talk about is the Fed. We are also talking about fiscal spending.
0: Yeah, that's right. After two years of Fed speak, I almost forgot that fiscal policy existed, but it is the reason for the season.
1: (laughs) Exactly, same. But the bottom line is that, number one, the economy does not need fiscal support. It doesn't need monetary support. It doesn't need any support. And number two, the fiscal support that we had seen in the past two years contributed to inflation and the huge levels of public debt that we now have on our plates, So there's probably little appetite to keep going down that road.
2: Add it all up, though. The fiscal and monetary side come together to tell a really coherent story, especially when we zoom out to the structural view. Where are we right now? We're in a policy pullback environment. Higher rates, lower liquidity, and below-trend economic growth. Equities and bonds and both in bear markets.
1: Yeah, it feels really different from the environment of the last 10 years.
2: Exactly. After the global financial crisis, we had over a decade of easy money policy lower rates, higher liquidity, and above-trend economic growth. Equities and bonds were in a seemingly perma-bull market, easy money euphoria. You had people joking about how stocks only went up.
0: Yeah, people were joking, but- we got the sense from our conversations with investors that maybe they were only sort of joking. And so maybe I insert a miniature portfolio pause here because we'll cover our preferred asset classes in the next couple of weeks on the podcast. But you make a really fantastic point right here in the moment that this decade is off to a very different start from the last one. And that easy money euphoria, the idea that risk asset prices move higher or tend to move higher only created some really clear winners and losers.
2: Yes, in the winner category, you had the likes of growth equities, even those that were unprofitable, and cryptocurrencies benefiting from the risk-on attitude of that decade. You also saw a boom in private financing, private equity, private credit, and venture capital benefiting from a super low cost of credit and less regulation than in the financial sector.
1: Mike, you paint a really clear picture of how when money is essentially free, aka interest rates are on the floor, the use of leverage is encouraged and risk taking in the markets is rewarded. But interest rates aren't at zero anymore. They're at four and a half percent and they're grinding higher.
2: And if we stay in this environment, if the changes I described about policy support are structural, that means we may need to consider which asset classes can be the winners in a very different environment.
0: Excellent. So, as host, I'll put a wrap on that portfolio pause before you two get to any ideas about our investment allocation. Just kidding. All of our ideas are on our website, but we'll discuss them again in more detail in the next couple of weeks. So, I do want to move to our final reason why this cycle is different geopolitical risks are very elevated. In fact, they're not risks
1: anymore in some areas. They're happening, they've become reality. A very harsh reality, too, in Ukraine. And at this point, I think it's well understood that Europe is facing a severe energy crisis that can spill over in a variety of ways. Yeah, China
0: or the U.S.-China relationship is another key area of geopolitical risk that we monitor. And yes, there's the omnipresent risk to Taiwan, but two policies in China have done much more to disrupt investment allocations in this economic cycle. It's zero COVID and antitrust policies. COVID lockdowns curtailed China's economic activity over the past several months. And then antitrust measures against major companies have harmed the trust between governments and investors on both sides.
2: You two are right to highlight those areas of risk when it comes to the cycle we're in now. But I think the risk only broadens if you think toward the future. Globalization as a whole is being called into question.
1: In some cases, that feels justified. More globalization doesn't always eliminate major concentrations of supply chain risk.
2: And the world learned a painful lesson there during the pandemic. When certain countries couldn't get vaccines, glass vials and syringes, disposable gloves, computer chips, you name it, the smallest component of a supply chain seems like a national vulnerability. For some countries, reassuring sensitive sectors to the furthest extent possible might be a solution.
1: But there's always a trade-off. So what are the costs involved?
2: That's exactly it, costs. Globalization drove costs down for decades, and creating supply chain redundancies is costly.
0: And when I hear costly, I hear inflation.
2: Yes, if the self-reliance becomes the new mantra of national interest, it could contribute to structurally higher inflation, that 4% level I mentioned earlier, for the medium or long term.
0: Well, folks, that's a wrap for this week. Thank you so much, Julia and Michael, for covering what's different about this cycle and potentially beyond. Coming up next, we'll dive into the likelihood of 2023 recession and how investors can position around it. But that's it for today. We'll be back next week with more Market Matters. In the meantime, if you have a question or topic of interest, reach out to us on LinkedIn. You can also follow our views at newyorklifeinvestments.com and click the insights tab. Until then, I'm Lauren Goodwin. See you next time. Our podcast is produced by Milo Benemots and our music was composed by the fabulous Zach Young. I will now read our disclosures from compliance. Past performance is no guarantee of future results, which will vary. All investments are subject to market risk and will fluctuate in value. This material represents an assessment of the market environment as at a specific date, is subject to change, and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results. This information should not be relied upon by the reader as research or investment advice regarding funds or any issue or security in particular. The strategies discussed are strictly for illustrative and educational purposes and are not a recommendation, offer, or solicitation to buy or sell any securities or to adopt any investment strategy. There's no guarantee that any strategies discussed will be effective. This material contains general information only and does not take into account an individual's financial circumstances. This information should not be relied upon as a primary basis for an investment decision. Rather, an assessment should be made as to whether the information is appropriate in individual circumstances and consideration should be given to talking to a financial advisor before making an investment decision. New York Life Investments is both a service mark and the common trade name of certain investment advisors affiliated with New York Life Insurance Company. Securities are distributed by NIlife Distributors LLC, 30 Hudson Street, Jersey City, New Jersey 07302, a wholly owned subsidiary of New York Life Insurance Company. NIlife Distributors LLC is a member of FINRA SIPC.